Zoo is back. Bet you missed it. I know I did. I did. Look out, here it comes again. Is this thing gone? This is Big Green. Back to this is Big Green for May of 2015. I'm so good to be back. Oh man, we missed you. Oh, we <laughs> missed you so much. <laughs> Tell them more. <laughs> what do we got for you this time? Uh, let's see. Netrek 23. What's the name of the episode? I have no doubt. I don't know. <laughs> Netrek 23. Netrek 23. That should be enough. Special appearance by, oh, I don't know, just Peter about everybody. Lawrence. Peter Lorre, that's right. And several other butcher's aprons. <laughs> <laughs> just be sure to tune in. Don't touch that Gerzer. This is Lee Majors. Last time on NedTrek, the crew of the Free Enterprise had to come to grips with the grand theft of Captain Romney's brain. I mean the one up in his head. An all-out search for it led them to a strange and incomprehensible world where cavemen ruled the planet's surface and a neocon think tank dominated the planet's burning core. Meanwhile, back up on the ship, acting Captain Nixon had troubles of his own and was nearly forced to resign. Luckily, he wasn't too distracted to squeeze in a bombing run. Back on the planet, the landing party made the astounding discovery that it was all just a big misunderstanding. In this episode coming up, even stranger things are going to happen, I'm pretty sure. So lean back and try to stay awake just a little while longer. Especially you Nielsen families. Stay tuned! Space. The ultimate marketplace. These are the voyages of the starship Free Enterprise. Its mission of undetermined length, um, until we're canceled, I guess. To seek out strange new commodities, exploitable alien workforces, to brazenly amass the largest profits that any corporation has before. I think the Nixon android might be on fire, or is having some kind of conniption. Should we get a team of emergency responders up here? I suppose I could put in a call to a mechanic. 
<laughs> Those are some really sharp moves, Mr. Nixon. Very inspiring. What the hell are you doing, Nixon? I on fire. Are you trying to stamp one out? Your animatronic feet are going wild. No, no, not at all. I'm just practicing a few dance steps, that's all. Getting ready for tonight's big dance. Besides, as I understand it, the object of dancing is to move your legs as recklessly as possible, all without tripping into scandal. Good luck with that, then. Hey, but you might try imploding off camera for once. So, Dad, what's with this dance that's being held in the bowling alley? Attendance isn't mandatory, is it? Yes, unfortunately, it's the freaking annual Duda Independence dance. It's some Mormon thing that some wholesome cracker just made up. Officers are mandated to attend. They need chaperones to make sure that no one Mormon man chooses any more than 12 dance partners at a time. They're so freaking reprehensible. <laughs> you know, in my younger days, I left a real trail of tears across the dance plains. But you know, it was the Indians that did most of the actual killing. <laughs> yep, they were clearly informed that they were responsible for their own lives as our boys dutifully marched them straight to Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, say, can you see? Da -da 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 -da. I see. That harkens back to a time when the depravities of polygamous throwbacks prevailed on the frontier. Yes, I think that a few of their names were Polly. <laughs> and then there was her sister, Jelly and Mustard. <laughs> I could have danced all night. That is, if I married all 50 of the Mustard sisters. Wait a minute. A few of those ladies may have been dancing men. My cousin Jif Romney made that mistake once. He was marrying in bulk and hitched himself to a couple of dapper dudes by mistake. Fortunately, a nearby corn elevator malfunctioned and buried them alive in genetically modified corn. <laughs> you might say that Monsanto catered their wedding and their funeral. <laughs> God works in mysterious ways. You know, I think I did dance with Jelly and Mustard that night. So in the sight of God, we are married. <laughs> I should probably make a subspace call to Anne tonight. Turns out she may have a long-lost sister wife to celebrate my life with. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Jelly became a dentist shortly after that. And that could translate into free braces all around for all further issue. What are you talking about, Willard? Oh, Ned, you just caught me in the act of dreaming. <laughs> dreaming about how it might have been. Overseeing household profits generated by 50-plus wives. <laughs> 400 children assembling crap in a field. Indeed, if I had chosen to take that path, things would have turned out well. But then there'd be those other kinds of days, too. Days when I'd feel obligated to get down on my hands and knees and beg a potato to get fat. Or take a switch to an apple because it's shriveled on a twig. <laughs> That's the kind of life I might have had. Instead, I ran for president for 40 years and managed a cash farm. But what of jelly? What of jelly? <laughs> that was the toughest life decision I've ever made. Which one? You mean which side of the silver plate you want your blow and caviar served on? No, no, that's no toughie. I want it on both sides so I can keep company with a bit in the middle. What I meant was my life decision to go into Starfleece. To take up the five-year mission and to really make a difference. Five years? You're dreaming. What do you think, you're on Adam 12 or something? <laughs> Mr. Stephanie K., what do we have here? These are the purple cubes of space-fresh caviar that you asked for, sir. 
<laughs> and so I did. My, my, you know, Ensign, I knew your father. <laughs> what an incredible entertainer. He could dance and sing almost as well as he could sing and dance. And all at the same time. You know, it was me that sent him on the mission that led to his death. <laughs> I'll have to tell you that tall tale sometime. Maybe I'll even show you his thigh bone. A space sailor did some scrimshaw on it, and I hung it in my private lavatory as a memento. Luckily, we cloned him in time. That is, before he started to go bad. And that's how you and all the other Mr. Stephanies came to be. Thank you, sir. Of course, of all the clones, I think you may be my favorite. But it does seem that replicating errors have been increasing with each new generation. I can identify with that. Not a day passes in which I don't come up with a piece of one of our own boys on the tennis court or in one of our mahogany gazebos. I've collected the pieces in a bag. In another week, I may have enough to make an entirely new son. Thought I'd call him Tang, too, after his mother. Just lately, I've noticed that most of you Stephanie boys are coming out of the clone tank with a pale, ghostly look. Doc also claims that your ligaments turn to gelatin after only a few days. <laughs> I think that's why clones are such hazards on the dance floor. Thank you, sir. Hmm. Now it's time to dig in. Heh! <laughs> Ouch! Darn! <laughs> I just broke about five of my teeth. <laughs> These food cubes must be good. Willard, you're not supposed to really eat those things, idiot. They're just props. They're wooden cubes painted in pastels. What the hell? You're only supposed to pretend to eat pretend food. I try to have something from the pastel group at least once a day. That's what the Chem Council advises anyhow. I think they've got a chart up in the mess hall. This week it features a delicious polymer cream pie. Zulu, how much time would it take if we diverted to Dentine 5? Um, how much time do you want it to take, Mr. Dead? It could take the whole show, or just a minute if you want. Let's see. We've got about three pages of dialogue to burn through. Let's say about ten minutes. Um, sure. I, sir. Ahead, then. Warp factor six. Begging your pardon, Captain. But we've got a message coming in on subspace radio. It turns out it has to do with me. Apparently there's a new tape of me denigrating the Vatulians. I had recorded it for the sake of my posterior. I mean, for the sake of posterity. I must have left the tape in the machine when I returned it to the Confederate Media Center. Evidently, whoever was the next person to sign it out went ahead and leaked the tape to the press. Probably that Dean bastard. <laughs> Anyhow, they went ahead and broadcasted it directly to Vitulia. You can't trust anyone these days. Even some otherwise committed Confederates will deceive me in the end. What's clear is that the Vitulians don't seem to understand the decision-making process of great leaders. They're threatening to destroy our embassies now. That is... If I don't apologize. <laughs> Mr. President, my word. Your indiscretions have enabled us to make the acquaintance of so many fine work herds. All kinds of harness-ready alien folk. You really know how to get a business conversation going. And your gift is innate. Indeed, Captain. And Mr. President, sir. I truly think that your insults have helped to condition the workforce of many sweat planets. Studies by ethically challenged psychologists all show the same thing. When a population has low self-esteem, they're much more likely to transfer their allegiance to whatever shiny new corporation happens into their sector. It's great. So they did include you in this week's script anyhow, eh, Pearl? Our writers are such losers. They couldn't even stick to their promise to write you out of the next six episodes. All for being so wrong about everything a consequence for this entire season so far. 
and for being a whining coward on a show that was supposed to pride itself for being better than the other space show whose main character is a whining coward. Yes, I am lucky as it turns out. My character strengths are perfect for this new age that we're living in, and it makes the show much more competitive with other shows in our genre. But really, I've got my public to thank, and the network executives, and... You're not up here accepting an award, fool! It's just a hideous reflection of the serious state of network programming today. The fact that the highbrow show has to inject a cowardly, sleazy sleazeball into its plot lines in order to eke out below subsistence ratings is worse than pathetic. You don't understand, Ned. There's a universe of opportunity out there for men with my abilities. And I'm not just talking about the network news shows. God bless them. You might say that my cultivated weaknesses are my strengths. Uh, Captain, it looks like there's a giant dick on the bridge. I mean, sir, we're coming within visual range of planet Dentine 5. Should I prepare to enter into standard orbit? What? (laughs) Oh, sure, sure, Helmsman. You know, I enjoy your mayonnaise product very much. It's white and creamy, just like my chosen people. In fact, I think I'll have Bane swoop down and buy out the company. They can merge it with a recently acquired Space Wonder Bread Company and Soylent Tyson's. We'll discuss the sandwich acquisition over a picnic lunch. I think your tooth trouble is migrating to your brain, Willard. You better get down to the transporter room set and prepare to beam right down to the dentist chair. That is, unless you want to remain a snaggletooth captain for the rest of the season. Although that would probably do more to get our ratings out of the toilet than a whole septic tank worth of cowardly pearls. We've assumed orbit around the planet, sirs. Um, obviously. Either that or we're being ogled by a huge glowing orange. Yes, here I am at my favorite dentist office. Hey, how are you, doctor? (laughs) You look terrible. You should take a few years off. You can run for something, maybe. It takes years. Oh, hello, Captain Romney. I'm afraid you've mistaken me for Dr. Mustard. I'm her receptionist and co-conspirator. Er, I mean helper friend. My name is Gladstone Goodstein. Glad to meet you, Mr. Good Times. So where's my old flame? You know, the one that got away. <laughs> oh, you mean Dr. Jellion. She is seen to another patient. <laughs> She's trying out the new extraction technique. It's from the CIA field manual. I think you'll be particularly interested in it. Or you will be later today, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> You're a lot taller than I expected. Do you think I'll need to have some drill work on the old grill work? If so, I might want to have my man Stephanie K. beam down here. (laughs) He can intercept the pain waves and maybe cough up some intel at the same time. There's been a certain amount of petty pilfering taking place on Deck 14. It looks like it says Deck 11 now, and it's been confusing the heck out of me. There's no need for your servant man to calm down. (laughs) There'll be no pain, I'm certain of it. And it will be awfully quick. 
Before you know it, you'll be experiencing the sensation of floating around the room. And then you'll land in a very comfortable place and into a most comfortable and practical pantsuit. I assure you. <laughs> well, that sounds like a Mormon holiday. Spiritually fulfilling and completely capable of being experienced while wearing a leisure suit. I think I'm sold. You just don't know how long we've awaited your arrival. We've prepared your own special room, along with a super deluxe examination chair with a big sail mounted on it. Does it have two spitting sinks? I really like to spit, and I'm not ashamed to say that I've dared to dream of such a thing. Patoi! Uh, um, yes, it has three little arm sinks, and there's a mobile above the chair that has cutouts of animal faces on it. They spin around, and you'd be surprised at all the unlikely combinations that come up. For instance, you may see a monkey next to a toucan bird, and then a dolphin next to a squirrel. It's amazing. You know, I've pretended to travel all over this galaxy, and I've never heard of anything like that. <laughs> Take me in to see those monkeys. You are tall, though, aren't you? Well, follow me. We'll see if the restraints are long enough. I, I mean, if the bottles of refreshment liquids are long enough. Just as long as they're blue. <laughs> Go right inside, Captain Romney. The doctor is in. <laughs> Doc Mustard. <laughs> long time no see. Hey, we're not married, are we? I mean, it's no biggie if we are. <laughs> I would just have to call in and buy a few dozen estates in Mexico, and then have them all measured for car elevators. But then we'd be all set. Also, what household tasks should I put you down for? How are you with textiles? I do declare. Hello, Mittens. No, we're not married in the eyes of our awesome Mormon God. Turns out that our solemn two-dollar dance took place at five minutes after eight o'clock instead of five minutes before. So according to the sacred rules, it would have happened during God's break time, the period in which he is occupied looking at prayer returns and commissioning angels. <laughs> the Lord runs an efficient operation. <laughs> of that there is no question. Now let's pray. Here, come right over here, and you can pray in the comfort of this special examination chair. Very well then. God likes me to be comfortable. That's been his pet project for as many years as I can remember. Jesus had a bit of a fling with the poor and the poxed, but it turns out that it was just a fad and it ended thousands of years ago. Now he's graduated to helping me. Hey, are those seatbelts necessary? How fast does this chair go? And the one around my neck, too. <laughs> well, this must be one of the safest chairs I've been in all week. <laughs> I declare, I imagine that in your days as a Starfleet captain, you've been able to go all sorts of wonderful places and see all manner of teats from all around the galaxy. Yep, I've chucked up a crazy amount of tooth men. In fact, the entire workforce on Zelthurus 9 are just gigantic teeth with little fleshy appendages in their mouths, which they use for gumming new anti-nutritious lichen substitute. Real lichen is way more expensive, it turns out. I declare, my life goal has always been to visit those gleaming tooth men and to fill their heads with all sorts of nonsense. And mercury. You could perhaps use a drill-shaped starship to defeat their enemies, the Decayans. 
I would, except your precious star fleece doesn't allow a dentist to command a starship. It's so unfair. That's right. <laughs> Ever since Admiral McIntosh was bitten by one. But he is shaped like a giant apple, though more like a Johnny Gold. Hey, what's that crazy whirring sound? And how come you've settled down into the chair right next to mine? Is the movie starting? I hope so. I wanted to see that patriotic feel-good movie about the murdering sniper. Declare the transference of my mind into Captain Willard Metilius Romney's body worked ever so well, and now I am the captain of the Free Enterprise. I am the first Mormon dentist captain in Starfleet. Oh my goodness, is this man ever out of shape? <laughs> well, you know, I just don't get the chance to work out that much. I used to do it at meetings. Most of the boards I'm on never get tired of watching me go up and down while I'm firing people. Hey! <laughs> I'm a woman now. I guess I'll be obligated to consider that marriage proposal from John Huntsman. Or maybe he was just offering himself up as my running me. It sounded like there was some kind of meeting ritual involved. I don't think that Anne could possibly have a problem with that, especially if she gets transferred over to John as well. I declare, you go where I say now. And that's going to be to the x-ray room where faulty equipment has flooded the room with deadly radiation. Feel free to make friends with any skeletons you find in there. But don't expect any kind of lengthy relationship to come of it. Dr. Jillian, is the deed done? Have you become Ward Cleaver? No, what am I saying? Wrong channel. I mean, did everything work okay? And are you captain of the starship? You have to admit, though, he really does look like a television father, doesn't he? Maybe that's why he's on television. Oh, I shouldn't have mentioned that. I do declare. Of course I am the captain of the starship. I have always been the captain. The transference is complete, and I am that man. Now I declare, we must beam aboard the starship where I will take my rightful place on the prow of that vessel's superstructure. You don't really understand anything about Jebediah Clyde starships, do you, sweetheart? That's okay. I've got a set of the blueprints that were desperately sold to pathetic fans of the show back in the 1970s. It's a collector's item now, worth nearly five credits, which is a whole credit more than I bought it for. <laughs> this is bad dream. I think I'm losing command of the ship. Guess I'll have to get a few luxury sports sedans to make up for this tragic loss. Hey, you were supposed to kill this one with a faulty x-ray equipment. It's going to be pretty awkward allowing him to waltz around the place, telling stories and possibly jeopardizing the whole scheme. <laughs> Whatever that is. If I understand my role correctly, I think I'm obligated to save all my Watson for my husband now. But thank you. Might I suggest that we don't waste time on killing him? Or, uh, uh, I mean her. He seems at home in his new body. And besides... You may just want to keep it around in case we need to make a fast getaway, <laughs> right? I declare, you are one disgusting little man. How could you ever even think of such a thing? Now I intend to go aboard that starship and drive it like it's never been driven before. Oh, what awaits us is the glory. Gelated Free Enterprise. 
Aye, Captain. I do declare, um, I require for you to beam up the beautiful and talented Dr. Jelly and Mustard, along with the two of us, of course. Jelly and Mustard? What a repulsive combination! Now, if you're planning on bringing aboard some sheep spleen sorbet with yak giblets and mustard on the side, I'd give you no complaints. I declare, I will have you all executed by the end of this very same day. Now, beam the three of us directly on board the ship. Aye, sir. Queen to Queen's level three. What the? I declare, he knows. They all know. This floozy must have warned them somehow. He must have taken a communicator and told them what happened. He must have concealed it somewhere in that fine chenille outfit. I have underestimated him. That kind of thing just never happens. Um, sweetheart, that's probably some standard security protocol that they employ to prevent a hostile takeover of their ship. It's a signed countersign thing. You're the captain. Just tell them to suspend the practice for the rest of the day. Okay, got it. Mr. Walsh. We're suspending use of the security protocol, just for today. What protocol are you talking about, sir? I was just getting in a game of chess here with Mr. Stephanie K. Ah, he's terrible at it. Even for a clone, I could win in less than one move. I declare, I will have you all executed upon my arrival. In that case, I think the transporter may be out, sir. The shape she's in, we couldn't beam up a Bulgarian walrus tick. Sweetie, tell them you were just kidding, and then once we're on board, you could kill them all. You can fill their teeth with mercury, and some of the other molten planets, too. I declare, this is the most frustrating experience. To think I have studied and worked so hard for so many years just to arrive at this moment of pure consternation. Yes, but you just limited your knowledge acquisition to dentistry and to a few other things marginally related to dentistry. The complexities of running a starship and dealing within the bounds of a military command structure was not part of your education. Yes, but I know that stuff intuitively and from watching Mikhail's Navy. I know how we shall proceed. Mr. Wallace... Of course, I have no plans to kill all of you. Now, please beam the three of us up, and please do it promptly. Aye, sir. Up you come. I declare, I am at last on board my own ship. Time to order my crew into action. Mr. Whale, take us immediately to the planet by Cuspid 5. There we will need to work fast to prevent a massive buildup of space plaque. I declare, will that system never learn to floss? But, sir... Mr. Yu, over there, inform the Space Dental Board that we will be unavoidably detained. But we've got an emergency on our hands, and we're the only dentists out here. Aye, sir. But, sir, the helm won't respond to control. Guidance systems would also appear to be out, sir. Captain, I tried to tell you, you can't drive this ship from down here. You need to be on the bridge. Stephanie is just reading his script as best he can, but he doesn't know the meaning of the words he's saying. Um, darling, we must go up to the bridge of the ship. This is just some kind of mudroom. It's very clean though, isn't it? Perhaps if we go through these doors here and have a look around, we can ask a prop man to give us directions. 
<laughs> I declare, of course. Lead on, Gladstone. <laughs> Mr. Wells, how long before the Mormon's prediction of guacamole comes true? And where did you get that skirt? Um, I don't know. Captain on the bridge. Um, and some strange little man as well. Ah, yes, I declare. Just like every day, I imagine that I normally stand over here in this cubbyhole and kind of conduct a lot of you. Trained oral hygienist, most of you are, I imagine. What? You're going to stand in the elevator while you spout your usual non-sequiturs? Um, sweetie, here's that big comfy chair. You know the one that you always sit in? Maybe you should sit there while you conduct your triumphant space campaigns. Everybody has such bad teeth in the sector of the galaxy. Could some weird spatial anomaly be doing something to their enamel? I declare, why, yes, of course. We could take our rightful place in the very center of this futuristic mouth-shaped command room, which also has some comforting elements of a barn thrown in for the purpose of quenching our rural-born bubba souls. What the? Well, your teeth are just as wrecked as they were when you left. What kind of dentist is that Dr. Mustard anyway? Did she only work on the false set of teeth you keep jammed between the cheeks of your ass? I declare, I will have you know that you are impugning the name and reputation of the very finest dentist that ever graced the entirety of our Christian galaxy. And furthermore, I will have you executed this very moment. Why have you been hanging around in Texas or something? Or consulting with Commodore Cheney? Technician Gladstone, you will now retrieve my biggest file. This horse's molars are in sore need of some painful whittling. Oh, 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 but sweetheart, when you told me to bring the files, I thought you meant the office's patient files, and not the case of medieval veterinary instruments that you keep to intimidate tax collectors. Sweetheart... What the? I declare, I will now retire to my captain's cabin, which I assume is located at the head of one of the ship's large cylindrical projections. I would think that it would be the one on the right. Do not fail to beckon me come supper time. Come on, Gladstone. It is your counsel that I will now rely upon when deciding how best to deal with the crew's persistent insubordination. Have no doubt, I will be back to deal with you all in the most stern and arbitrary manner. Um, boss... I mean, Captain, that's a space closet. The door to the elevator is over there. I do declare, well, of course it is. Look out! I think the free enterprise has two daddies now, and they're both crazy as hatters. I see. Doc Coburn to Brit. I've been monitoring what's been going on up there. And I've come to the inescapable conclusion that the captain is worse than dead. His gay is turned on. Gay marriage must be legal down there on that planetoid where he had his teeth worked on. That's all it took. The devil made the gay lifestyle so deliciously compelling that it immediately turns normal men into sodomite slaves. That's true. Homosexuals spread like wildfire through the media. Don't think that the Jews didn't know what they were doing when they began planting gay seeds into their programming, eventually replacing all the wholesome hayseeds. God damn it, there used to be some really good shows to watch. 
That one with the stupid kid. What was that called? Of course, we were onto them. The Jews, that is. They were using the gays to weaken the country from the inside and thus facilitate a complete and absolute takeover of the government. Okay, before those two start ushering the usual scapegoats to the bowling alley for execution, I think we should talk to Doc Mustard and find out what in the huckleberries happened down there on the planet and in that dentist's office. Where is she anyway, and why was she brought on board in the first place? Well, I think she must have a significant connection to the plot of the episode. I mean, when was the last time that there was a character on board that we made a point of noting or interacting with that didn't ultimately play some role in our story? I'm still trying to figure out what the point of your character is, Pearl. I see. Doc Mustard's been confined to quarters, but I myself wouldn't give a plug nickel for any of the lies she's been spinning. Captain's issued orders that nobody, and he meant nobody, is to question her to make contact with her in any way. Complete and utter abstention is what he's calling for. That could all be part of his devilish indoctrination. Because when you take away man's righteously desired female fruit, all that remains is a forbidden manly produce. Evil cultivations from the devil's own sack. Okay, okay. I'm going down to see the dentist. Can't possibly be any stranger than talking to you posers. Where are you going, sir? No one is allowed to enter that room. Captain's order, sir. Since when have those kinds of orders applied to the captain's horse? Anyhow, I need some answers, mister. And they're locked inside that door. I'm going in there, see? And you're to stand there and have nothing to say about it, see? I don't think so, sir. Stephanie K., but some miracle you've managed to survive through five episodes of this show. I don't know why... Probably our writers who are allergic to due diligence simply neglected to mention that you've been killed already. Those guys deserve both dollars they make on this crap. The point is, Stephanie, I could go into that room or I could clunk you on the head first and then go in. Doesn't matter to me which way we do it. I would think it might make some difference to you. But then you're such an undeveloped hunk of clay. Maybe not. No, sir. You are as mad as she is. I will call a security chief. Pointless fool. <laughs> Hi there, Ned. Thanks for fixing the door. The darn thing has been jammed tight ever since I got back to the ship. I was starting to think that God had even more big plans for me on this day. You know, I've got a natural aversion to dentists, but I have to admit, my aversion to you seems a lot more familiar. And closer to home, but I can't quite put my hoof on it. <laughs> Far from me to act in an illegal or impious manner, I'll divorce Anne right away and then agree to a subspace radio marriage with John Huntsman. To make sure that nothing even remotely gay happens, I'm trying to keep in the back with the grumpier sister wives. I imagine I'll be working on identifying redundancies in household manufacturing processes and maybe coming up with a list of family members that can be locked out. Turns out that a lot of womanly duties can be outsourced. Who knew? Let's talk about that dentist visit. Willard beamed down to have his chompers worked on. He comes back an hour later with no apparent work having taken place. Except now he has some creepy little male escort tagging behind him. He also has no idea what's what and which is where on the ship. 
Well, I guess there's nothing unusual about that part. <laughs> well, my teeth got fixed as red as rain. Perfect mesh. Worth a million. But now my magic Mormon underwear seems to have developed a complicated upper level. And the dance invitations just keep rolling in. I've got two. One from a watchman and one from a real live descendant of Danny Kay. You know what I think? I think I could skip ahead a few dozen blank pages in this stupid script. I don't need the Palomino mind meld to tell me that I'm talking to the idiotic consciousness of Willard Matilius Romney. Somehow locked inside the body of the worst dressed female dentist in space. Did somebody tell you that that pattern was flattering? It isn't. Well, it was either this pink and black clown dress or a sour apple green pantsuit with a matching clown hat brooch. <laughs> I guess the jelly really likes clowns. They're always funny. They're hysterical. Well, Willard, I don't know how you managed it or she managed it, but now we have an even worse Captain Romney based command crisis than usual. Any bright ideas about how to get back into your own body and maybe delay the execution of the crew and the destruction of the ship at least for a few days? <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Nope, I lost it. I waited too long. Wait a minute, I remember again. Back on the planet, they sat me down in a dentist chair. It was incredible. It probably is the best dentist chair in the galaxy. Places to rest both feet and your arms couldn't fail to find comfort. Soothing incidental music wafted in from the ceiling. A calming mist began to creep in from... Okay, okay. The chair was some kind of alien consciousness body transference technology. Who could have guessed there'd be some of that stuff on the market in this sector? Dr. Mustard and her slimy cohort lurched into the chair, flipped a switch, and voila! She became captain of the Free Enterprise, a position that no doubt she always lusted for but like you, possesses no training or aptitude for. Anyway, I personally don't care if you're a dentist wearing a designer clown suit. You're coming back up to the bridge with me now. Yes, sir, Mr. Ned. Halt, sir. Where are you going? The captain has ordered that Dr. Mustard not leave this room without his expressed order. Jesus, not another one. Who are you? Mr. Stephanie Elmo or something? This is the captain of the ship. Yes, the woman in the clown suit is actually a former governor, private equity firm ghoul, professional candidate, idiot captain of the free enterprise. Do you want to take issue with that, huh? No, sir. You are as mad as she is. I will call a security chief. This show is so stupid. They're down to cutting and pasting whole lines of dialogue. Why do I bother to show up in the morning? <laughs> because of the old clown axiom. The blow must go on. Let's go visit the doc. See if he can relieve Captain Madwoman of command. I mean, even he has to see that she's incompetent, right? Ah, say, Mr. Ned, sir, there you are. Is Doc Mustard thinking about whittling out a new practice on board ship? I can tell her right now, the crew's heads don't require that kind of filling, nearly as much as they pine for the knowledge of the Lord. God made our bodies in his own image, 
and it turned out that he must have had his mouth closed that day, because not many come with the basic tools of mastication, at least not the kind that linger into our middle years, meaning 12 to 18. Just shut up for a minute. I want you to crazy verify the captain. Do it because he's got a homosexual relationship going. Do it because he's schizoid and trying to put all the officers to death every five minutes. Or do it because he thinks he could have a cabin inside one of our warp engines. Just pick a reason. Relieving a captain of command is one of the most solemn duties a ship's chief medical officer has. Providing a check on the captain's power is his burden and his burden alone. But I hasten to add that handing out death sentences like a possum wafers is not an impeachable offense. And it's a sign of strong, decisive leadership of the no-nonsense variety. The homosexual liaison that the captain has developed has put him on a collision course with the devil. And normally I'd be pleased to relieve him upon that basis. But I can't do that because then a beast would take command. And God hates beasts above all else. Now, turning to another subject of an infinitely more pleasing nature, Miss Jillian, I understand that you've been a long time out here in space with only a sissified Frenchman for company. Would you do me the honor of accompanying me to the ship's barn later? I thought that I was the only one that referred to my cabin as a barn. <laughs> sure, Doc. I'll have a few of my servants set up things at your place. It'll be good to sit down to a square meal of twelve Epicurean courses. We could include your favorite, Zebanian pork and beans, and spam cutlets, all cooked right in the can. I say, what a woman! Idiot! This isn't a woman! This is a captain! His own body's been taken over by Doc Mustard! They've done some kind of futuristic brain transference thing! Now he or she is running roughshod all over the ship. Ah, yes. The entire landing party. Um, boss, no, you're using a line from the wrong episode. There was no landing party in this one. Oh, yes, there was the time earlier when Captain Romney beamed down to the planetoid. But one person can't really constitute a party, although sometimes I do. But most people think that what I do is very sad. I do declare, this looks more like a funeral party to me. Or more nefariously, the agents of decay surreptitiously ganging up on a pristine molar, righteously crowned by God. Security, take these condemned officers and this devilish clown woman and prepare a dental review top hearing. We convene at 1300 hours, which is 10 minutes from now, I do expect. I must say, I like the way you take the talking now, Captain Sir. We'll be at your hearing, no fear. We'll be there to expose you to the crew, Captain Mustard. We know what's happened here. We don't know how you pulled it off quite, but we'll figure that out too. It's got to be written down here somewhere. <laughs> you know, seeing and hearing myself being so decisive and strong makes me understand how I did so well with the female vote. You lost a woman's vote by freaking landslide, Willard. They thought you were an out-of-touch, plutocratic, misogynistic freak. <laughs> well, and they say that that can all be effectively conveyed by just wearing the right color suit.
I really get to run this hearing? Or at least get to ring the little bell? That's kind of like running everything. Can't start without the bell. Finally came upon a task that your intellect can master, a Pearl? This tribunal hearing will come to order. We have here a host of senior officers and one of the most ungracious guests that has ever seen fit to disrupt the natural order of life aboard this starship. Um, the free, um, splendor pies. Pardon me, darling. I mean, sir, that's free enterprise. You can remember it by using word association. Think of free as being good news. You know, free. And enter. Think of that as, oh boy, it's free to enter here. That's also good news. And the best news of all is that there's a prize coming. Put them all together and you get the best news in the world. Free enterprise. You see, you'll never forget it again. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Stop the hearing. I want to hear more about those prizes. Now certain senior officers aboard the starship, the free splendid prizes, have pushed way beyond the bounds laid out by God in his temple or in such an unnatural flying structure. Understand that there is a hierarchy in our space service, and it is very similar to the one that exists in the human mouth. Certain teeth have crowns. They were born to lead. We anoint them with gold and with silver. Doc, are you sure you can't find crowns to relieve this guy? How about a tape of this? Shut up, Ned. I want to try to get a job advising one of those teeth with the crowns. There's money in it. I know it. I declare, Mr. Fed, it's not too late to rejoin the family of teeth up on the bridge. Be the captain's eye-tooth once again and renounce this malefactor, this well-dressed agent of decay. I declare, if you do this, I and my loyal officers will give you merely one good drilling and not proceed to a plan of total extraction. <laughs> you know, my acting is getting better by leaps and bounds this season. I think that in a few months I might be ready for the all-Mormon production of Pajama Game. Shut up, Mrs. Willard. Listen, ma'am, as far as I see, most of what you and Igor over there have done has only been marginally criminal. Yes, you intentionally sent your own staff of dental technicians down to that restaurant that serves bad space clams. But for all I know, they were spur-wearing cowpokes, and they deserved it. However, once you began stirring our regular characters into your poison plot, you went too far. Granted, your average random person off the street couldn't do any worse commanding the ship than Willard, but there are protocols that need to be followed. Would-be captains need to endure years of training and undergo batteries of tests, or they at least have to buy their commissions. That's right. I paid a man to test those batteries for me. No doubt, with the use of some kind of sophisticated alien equipment, you switched bodies with a captain and took over the ship. I declare, this is mutiny. Doc Goldturn, Mr. Welch, you all are heard of here on this channel. Well, when a sore tooth is so badly infected with hate and loathing, even a big horsey tooth, there ain't no saving it. It requires immediate extraction from the bridge. And so I do sentence you today to be taken from this place and brought to a place that just opened down by the overpass. It's a newfangled practice out there, all jam-packed with high-priced specialists. My assistant here will be making an appointment for you. You won't have a nickel to buy a sprig of alfalfa when they're done with you. Take the horse to the dentition center, now! But before you do, Mr. Purles, play the tape of the conversation taking place in the hall. 
Um, okay, here we go. You know, Henry, this tribunal might be just the thing we've been waiting for. I mean, for one thing, I'm not the focus of it. No, of course you're not, Mr. President. Who could ever find a legitimate reason to call your loyalty into question? Yep, yep. Or my competence. Indeed, sir. You're by far the most capable and competent member of your crew. Everyone knows that. That's why our enemies are forced to invent slanderous exposés in the media. You're absolutely right. And the media is controlled by Jews and by dentists. Not you, Henry. You're one of the good ones, like Sammy Davis Jr. I'm sure that your People's Council of Elders doesn't keep you apprised of all their conspiratorial plans or editorial decisions. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. Of course you're right. I have to hand it to you, sir. You know more about my people than anyone. Most of them don't know the first thing about running the world. If they wanted to know, you'd think that they would have asked us. But of course they don't. I wouldn't tell them anyhow. Anyhow, Henry, I think we can assume that this hearing will create a command vacuum. And that in turn will create an opportunity for me. I mean for us to step in and take over the ship. You are very astute, sir. I think that is exactly what is happening. I think if you went up to the bridge now and started exercising your latent command prerogatives, you could save the situation and the entire crew, including myself, would be grateful and relieved. And of course, we'd be ready to follow you anywhere. You really think so, Henry? Of course you do. And you're right. The crew would be happy to follow my orders once again. We could get the Great Society on track again. Wait a minute. It wasn't the Great Society, was it? That was Johnson's bullshit. What was our stupid slogan again? It sure as hell wasn't Camel Snout or the slimy city on a hill. Uh, I don't remember. We can come up with a new one, though. How about the respectable cloth coat? I like it, but we should run it by the boys downstairs. Let them throw up on it for a while. <laughs> I declare... Stop the tape. But there's more. A real lot more. As it turns out, Nixon's just so prolific. It's my mutiny. I declare I will have that traitor's metal teeth for a charm bracelet. And then I will melt down his frame into trinoleum floor panels. Actually, sweetheart, we can use some of that flooring for our waiting room back on the planetoid. That is, if things don't work out here. Not to say that they won't. No, everything seems to be going pretty well. I mean, half the crew is in mutiny, but the other half isn't. So the class is half full, right? Security chief, remove these condemned men to the ship's bowling alley. I'll be down to deal with them later. That is once I locate my custom bowling ball. Yes, sir, right away, sir. Oh, no, this is worse than I thought. We're going to actually have to watch bowling. Please kill me now. I can't believe it. Mr. Ned brought down on charges of mutiny. I mean, he says mutinous things in just about every scene of every episode. That's a shtick, isn't it? I mean, if we're all suddenly susceptible to the dental penalty simply by being our normal characters, then what hope is there? 
Fortunately, there are lots of opportunities for me on other starships. Starfleet is commissioning spanking new Confederate ships every day, each outfitted with batshit crazy captains, and they're all spoiling for easy war. All they need is for me to point out something that's even remotely plausible. It's so great to be needed. Pearl, do you plan to keep talking much longer? I was thinking about abandoning my post when the captain gets up here as a protest of his treatment of Mr. Ned, but you're making me want to leave right now. It does seem that the captain is a different kind of crazy today. I mean, all of the dental talk and his taking on a creepy boyfriend, his acting in a decisive manner and his new insistence on using the ladies' room, though it may technically be where no man has gone before. Sulu? What now? I think that it's only a matter of time before our numbers come up. I mean, I think I could stand losing you, but losing me is another matter entirely. Are we going to stand for an extraction taking place on the free enterprise? Well, if we're talking about you, I'll help in any way and every way I can. Well, thanks, Sulu. I must say that I didn't expect that. I thought you were still sore over my suggestion that you be placed in an internment camp for Asian crew members the last time we went to war with the Besiegians. But you have to admit, they look kind of Asian. And, well, a few of their multiple heads do anyway. I meant that I'd help the captain in any way and every way I can. I declare, mutiny is in full swing on the lower levels. But up here in the ship's mouth, all is order and comity as expected. No, there's not a tooth out of place. And most certainly not one is impacting against its command. Driver boy, get the ship a steaming towards Bicuspid 5. I do declare, I've always wanted to have a look at that world of wonder. Um, I sir. Captain Romney, I just wanted you to know that I wholeheartedly support the extraction and, I presume, execution policy that you're implementing against Mr. Ned and a few other members of the senior crew. I only hope that they can learn in death the discipline and loyalty that so eluded them in life. Meanwhile, there are plenty of other officers on board the Free Enterprise who are more than willing to fill in the gaps left behind in our command structure. Why, Mr. Stephanie L. over there would make a great scienceless officer. He doesn't know anything. I do declare, Mr. Poe, there is mutiny in your mouth. You heard. No, sir, not in this mouth. It's always very careful about what it says and to who. I'd never speak a word of mutiny unless it was the prevailing attitude on board and the only way I could keep my space commission. You will come here and you will open your mouth wide. I will closely inspect it for the mutiny that I perceive from afar. But I have my own dentist at home. He looks like Lawrence Olivier. And when I'm not around, he helps keep the homeland safe by using his drill as an intelligence auger. Ethicists on the payroll tell me that it's completely lawful and moral, as long as we're the ones doing it. Oops, sir. I have dropped something. I declare you will be charged with mutiny. You will be charged... No, I'm looking at the blank projection screen. It tends to be more interesting than most everything else that happens around here. No, an incredibly cheap special effect just happened, and it was centered on the captain. Of course it was centered on him. It's his show, the big jerk. It looked like the film just froze, and then a still image of a dentist's face started flying out of his face, and then it went back in. What do you suppose that means? How am I supposed to know? But it sounds like we can't go home yet. 
I declare, I will be right back. Apparently, I need to nail my inner dentist down proper. You all are to remain in this agitated state of excitation until further notice. Did you hear that? He's got me slated for death. I better run down to the bowling alley and join forces with the condemned officers. It has to be my only way out. They're not about to really be killed. I mean, then there'd be no show. You're not really going to try to run, are you? Besides, I'm pretty sure that this is the last episode of the show. Uh, for obvious reasons. I just can't accept that. The American people will greet this episode with flowers and candy, like they have all the others. Well, this is just riveting. Spending time on death row with you two. I guess it's more like death bowling alley. Hi, everybody. I'm here just in time to benefit from your cunning plan to get us out of this really, really bad situation. Well, at least one pleasure we'll get out of this is to see Pearl pummeled by bowling balls. I just kind of imagined that there would be a quaint firing squad assembled at the top of the lanes. We'd stand down here where the pins are, and they'd use phasers to blast us. I never dreamed that they would actually try to execute us with bowling balls. I think that Doc Mustard was a member of the top bowling team on our planet. It's all part of maintaining plausible deniability. If the Confederation ever turns the heat on her or sets up an inquiry, she can always say that we were killed in a freak bowling accident. She must figure that doing this is is way better than trusting our nearsighted sharpshooters, although Doc is on her side, and he's a crack shot, so I understand. That's crackpot, idiot. How the fortunes of the day have changed. To think just a few hours ago, we were prepping for the big dance that was going to take place in this very room. Now we'll be doing the dance of death, kind of staggering around and then falling down lifelessly. Fortunately, my legacy is intact. That's for sure. You fixed it up right. Wait a minute. There's one thing that she's forgetting. She'll be bowling with Willard's body. And he can't hit the broadside of a barn with any kind of ball. <laughs> Actually, I average about 300. Wait a minute, that's in golf. I always get those two games mixed up. The balls are just so similar. Ah, yes. The entire landing party. Will you stop saying that? You're reading the wrong script again. I declare, the moment of tooth has arrived. <laughs> and this tooth will be revealed unto mutinous traitors in the form of death. And so it shall be written. Um, darling, you just said truth instead of truth. At least I think that's what you meant to say. This is it. It's curtains. It wasn't supposed to happen this way. We were supposed to survive this and go on to make blockbuster movies in about 20 years. Now those movies will have to feature our floating skeletons. Is there any way that I can weasel out of this? Well, the answer to that is no mama. Before we start carving you all up, there's a little something I owe Miss Jelly over here. As captain and as a fully functional Mormon bishop man, I now pronounce you the lawfully wedded wife of this Nixon robot over here. Mr. Nixon, you may dance with your bride, but not until I also wed her up nice and proper to this mutinous horse. The whale man over here, wearing the skirt, well, he is now the bride of the sniveling coward... And I myself will henceforth be considered in the blissful state of matrimony with my assistant over here, Mr. Gladstone Goodstein. <laughs> Gee, I didn't know I could do all that. Oh well, I better put in a call to John Huntsman and tell him that our wedding will just have to be heaped on top of all these others. 
Luckily, he's tall and understanding and very handsome. Ah, see, I just can't wrap my head around all this. Something devilish and homosexual is happening here before my very eyes and other senses. We need to do a Baptist exorcism right now or we'll all be served up raw into the lake of fire. It's too late for that. The music has started. It's it's the Do-Die Independence Dance. It must have never been canceled. Everyone dance. Dance or die. You're certainly among the few that can make that claim. You are back to being the dentist that I loved and right now have a great craving for. I don't think we need to hear this, do we? No, I mean to say that I have a really bad toothache. It's right over here. I think it's number 12. <laughs> do you think that she can do something for you, Mr. Gladstone? Um... Uh, yes, uh, sure. Hey, you're letting us off the hook here, I take it. Sure, sure. We're all in the same family now. Since the Mormon marriages presided over by Captain Jelly were consummated by doodah dancing, they're all irrevocable. Congratulations to everyone. I just don't know how I'm going to break this to John Osman. He had his heart set on me providing him with another brace of immaculate sons. <laughs> what in the... That mad woman dentist commandeered your body took over the ship and tried to have half the crew executed by bowling balls, and now you're just going to let her walk because of some half-baked Mormon teen mumbo-jumbo. <laughs> you know, I think this stuff is pretty well-baked. It's crispy. Mr. Sulu? Aye, sir. Prepare to beam up the landing party. <laughs> but you guys are just in the bowling alley on board the ship, right? You could take the turbo lift. Yes, we could, Mr. Sulu. <laughs> we most certainly could. It is mutiny! Deliberate, vindictive, insane at his base! But mutiny is charged, and encouragement of mutiny. Dr. McCoy, Mr. Scott, you heard it? On the basis of these statements, I called for an immediate vote by the powers granted to me as captain of the Enterprise. A recess is declared to be followed by a vote. Yes, sir. An immediate vote before our chief witness can be left to die on some obscure planet with the truth locked away inside of us. Silence! You will be silent!
I've got splinters already. Daddy, please don't. It wasn't his fault. He means so much to me. Daddy, please don't. We're gonna get married. Just your wait and see. Mr. President. <laughs> okay, that's the Henry Kissinger version of Run, Joey, run. Joey, run. We're sure that Henry knew all the words to this song. That and to Billy don't be a hero. Daddy, please don't. Billy, don't be a hero. Oh, someone's calling on the phone. Who's calling the White House? Yeah, somebody is calling your phone, Joe. It's very annoying. Someone is calling on the phone. Lisa. <laughs> it, it, I, I think it might be Lisa. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's Wee's calling. Oh, no. What did you pick it up and hug it up and up? This is how we put it in the computer. So, Matt, what's your month been like? I don't know. It's been more like two months, hasn't it, Joe? Since we've done this thing, 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 this thing, 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 thing. Because we're all so damn busy. I don't know. I'm so busy. I don't know what I'm doing. Well, why don't you know if you don't know who does? I don't know. I don't know the answer. Know, to nobody that. has to know. Nobody has to know. Nobody has to know. I've been, I've been writing reports like dreary middle manager kind of things. I'm a dreary middle manager, Joe. That's all. That's sad. Why did you look at your computer? Why did he look at his computer? Why do you look at VU meters when you're recording? Look at the window. Look at the window. Look out the window. Because I'm engineering because we got a cardboard belt, okay? I know, I know. We can't afford someone to turn the dials and someone to do uh, the magnificent performance. I am a black belt. I'm a black belt in karate. No, I just have a black belt. Oh, that's true. I don't. I don't know nothing. You know what happens? That I have a black belt too. <laughs> oh no, he's he's the real Mitt Romney. <laughs> well, I hope you folks enjoyed the um, star. The uh, no, the Ned Trek. What's it called again? Ned Star. Ned Star. Sounds Ned like, Star. <laughs> sounds like a corporation. <laughs> Ned Star. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's now the managing director of Ned Star. It's a 23rd century corporation started by a horse. Dun, 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 dun. It's Hi. a horse. It's a <laughs> horse. It's a 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 horse. It's coming around again. It'll be coming <laughs> around the horseman when he comes. I think it's coming around again. I think it's coming around again. Night. Yes, we had many guest stars in this last episode. Yeah. Peter Laurie. Yes. Peter Laurie was back. Yes. And he seems to be here now. He played a key role. He play, played a key role. Yes, Very important yes he role. did. Yes. And of course, uh, Dr... Dr. Jelly and Mustard. <laughs> Loosely based on a dentist, we know. <laughs> of some acquaintance. Loosely based on a southern dentist that never existed. And Henry Kissinger has made another appearance. I think this is his like third episode in a row. Isn't it? He yeah, seems he's, to be he's... turning into like a 
He's kind of hovering around the Nixon android. Yeah. Which makes sense. It does. Just like the real Henry Kissinger hovered around the real Richard Nixon. Yeah, he's trying to ingratiate himself. Wherever he got a job, it seemed that <laughs> Henry was someplace around. Henry was always there to help out. <laughs> That's right, Mr. President. Remind me why you are great and I am great. I was first your national security <laughs> advisor. And, right, then, sir. and then uh, I was your secretary of state. Secretary of state. Yes, you were, Henry. So, uh, yes, we played, yeah. played homage to the tapes again, to the Nixon tapes, which sounded almost exactly like that, but this was not true Nixon tapes. This is... <laughs> It's an adaptation. It's a facsimile. Yes. It's like several centuries removed. It's just it's so impressive to hear the real tapes. Because they really do sound incredible like that. I mean, all the talk of... All the racist talk. Yeah. All the all the crude terminology. Yes. It's very just, realistic portrayal of how they spoke in those days. All the racism and... Sexism and anti-Semitism and you name it. Just remember how popular Richard Nixon was in my hometown. My little town. What kills me is if you know if you probably played the tape for them back then in in that town that it would change no one's mind. No, what? Because that's probably how they all talked at home too. <laughs> well, that's how people talk. It was a much more beastly nation in a lot of ways. That's how we all talked at home, around the kitchen table. I'm sure that we did. My parents had friends who were, you know, practically clan members. I mean, they're <laughs> who is that? Well, don't you yes. remember the McCoys and, and oh, the Hatfields I mean, and McCoys? They, they used to argue I with them. They, were they would argue. Wait with a them. minute, the Hatfields and McCoys used to argue? No. <laughs> yeah, we were like the Hatfields. They would argue with them about yeah. politics, but I mean, th- those people were openly racist. Oh, didn't M- the McCoy guy come over to play chess or something? Yeah. Yeah. He... Well, I mean, that was like a long time ago. That was like in the North Utica house, right? Dad worked for his father. His father owned like a hardware store, I think, in yeah. Herkimer. And in like 1814. He worked with them, you know, worked with Jack McCoy and his, his brother, Ray. <laughs> His brother racist, <laughs> racist. Oh, I think. Oh, I think assassinated Martin Luther King. <laughs> Actually, oh, Jack McCoy once said that he wished someone would shoot Martin Luther oh, King. Oh my what? Yeah, what it was it was that? a pretty outrageous thing. And then he then he called to apologize later. I think. I, I, well, I, I I think he kind of backed off of it, but he was like, yeah. I went too far. I can't. I can't remember whether he apologized for saying he wished that Martin Luther King would be shot, or he wished that Robert Kennedy would be oh. shot. <laughs> and it was well. Somebody Mark went to school. Didn't they like right shortly before Robert Kennedy was killed? They like wrote something on the blackboard or write, wrote like a noose or something. They write some kind of allusion to him being killed. Quite possible. Yeah, like a gravestone or something. Great possible on it. Yeah, yeah, it happened. I just can't remember exactly what it was. And right after that, he was he was killed. Yes, in that wonderful year of nineteen sixty eight, folks. 
Yeah. The same year that <laughs> Ned Truck was on the air. <laughs> <laughs> the same year that I got elected president. Here we hearken back to. <laughs> Always comes back to 1968. Was the year of victory. Best year of my life. <laughs> Best year of the nation's life. I know. To think that Nixon would look back and think of 1968 as redemption. <laughs> Finally, to implement his secret plan. To end the war. <laughs> In five years. Yeah. <laughs> Took me five years to implement. <laughs> secret plan to... To blow the crap out of To blow the living crap out of everybody. Yeah. Blow up the smithereens. <laughs> right. <laughs> Take what Johnson left and blow yeah. it up again. And uh, re-blow it up. I don't do it. Well, re-blow it. Does, but that is what they understand. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much all they understand. <laughs> 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 Oh boy, 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 um podcast. Um pa pa podcast. Um pa pa podcast. Um pa pa podcast. Yes, it is. Well, they need like an organ sound for that, for God's sake. Yeah, well, don't do it. Don't really do it, Joe. <laughs> Although, that is most compelling. Ooh, <laughs> A one and a two. And a one and a two. And now <laughs> Matt's going to do the doodadads. <laughs> Bobby and Sissy. Bobby do and Sissy do the doodadads. Okay. All the doodadads. So we were guilty of making up a new Mormon holiday called the Duda Independence Dance <laughs> Holiday. <laughs> Declaration of Independence. Well, you know, Duda is kind of like Utah. So Duda, Utah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, Utah. Well, we do have parents. a we do have a doo parade here in <laughs> in central New York. It's in what Herkimer or Little Falls? I can't remember which. It's all, one I, of the... all I know is somebody like craned their head to see the doo yes. <laughs> There was a newspaper People on the street craned their craned their necks to see a man on stilts. Uh, about in the twenty parade. years ago, there was a newspaper picture, and the caption was that some guy was craning his neck. To to see the action in the doodah parade. And we thought that was the funniest thing we'd ever seen. And our friend Jim tacked it up on his refrigerator so we would never forget it. Yes. And we never it may even still it for, be there. We never forgot it for 13 years or so. I don't think it's still there. No, they called it like when I was still going to Jim's house. Yeah. It was called. It was called. Somebody threw a bunch of our favorite things out. That in Houston Petrie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a story about Houston Petrie. The guy was wearing the Santa Claus style hat in Burger King, oh, yeah. going around hitting people with a little rubber hammer. Oh yeah, forgot about <laughs> he that. He was arrested. Bit. Yes. Uh, well, you know he should have been arrested. Crime of the century. I keep hearing about the beef jerky thief. <laughs> was he a joint? Beef jerky. He's a joint. <laughs> Some guy keeps stealing beef jerky. Yeah, they caught him, right? Finally? 
Then they finally catch <laughs> they him. They did catch the guy yes. in Utica. That's but there was another beef jerky what thief the- several years ago in and he was he he too was going to fast track well, these the kind of convenience stores. Well, if he's eating this stuff, he's kind of getting his own punishment. Isn't I it? don't know if it's the same guy. How many? Could it could be? be another guy. It's another man entirely. How is it possible that there be more than one <laughs> beef jerky thief? And now the beef jerky, sh- <laughs> the beef jerky thief chronicles, <laughs> starring Ephraim Zimbalist <laughs> Jr. Tonight on Twenty Twenty. <laughs> oh, you're making a news show. Okay. That makes more sense. <laughs> Wanna be a news show. Uh oh. I'm using air quotes. Oh. Tonight. <laughs> that sounded good. <laughs> then in a world <laughs> In a world. Well, you know announcers for, you know, the kind of coming attraction announcers. Yeah, got that burn at the end of their every consonant has burn. I don't have a good enough mic to even attempt it. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) you're gonna have one of those ribbon mics that are like, "What's the matter with this mic?" Still resonating like five minutes after you leave the room. World. (laughs) So if you just keep the burn even going longer, do they consider you better? I'm starting to think that really. At what point do they think you're silly? I'm starting to think that really sensitive yes. audio equipment if, yes. has changed the way people act on television. Do you mean acting? Yes, or acting. How they act? No, acting. Well, what do you mean? Because if you watch modern television shows, like sort of like network yeah. television shows, everybody talks like this. Everybody. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of really low speaking. You know, well, just like when music changed, Joe, because you go back nah, to the era of... The technology when, is driving... When the, Bing Crosby started, Joe, the thing that was new was the microphones were much more sensitive. And so his, was his light style was able to be picked up by the microphone. And before that, you had the crooners like Al Jolson. Who were pretty much just yelling all the time. <laughs> And Rudy Valley, you know? Yes. And then you get Bing Mammy. Crosby. <laughs> My dear little mammy. It sounded like he didn't have teeth. <laughs> well, he sounded like he didn't have teeth. I mean, <laughs> Somebody hit him in the face with a sensitive microphone. <laughs> that sounds like a... Mammy. 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 Just pretend you don't have teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I walk from it, it works. <laughs> I walk from it beyond miles. My little mammy. <laughs> That's why I'm saying mammy. This guy's he was like an infant with no teeth. It's like some toothless freak. And he it, and he <laughs> so fondly remembered those times. I rock a million miles. <laughs> you sound like, so, you sound like <laughs> him when he's on hundred years. <laughs> somebody dug up El Joseph. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Poor Joseph. My mom always hated El Joseph. Oh, God. <laughs> she my dad it. liked him, and my mother hated uh-huh. him. 
just like dad like Frank Sinatra and mom hated him too I must say I think Sinatra may have been a little bit better than um, well dad used to defend Frank Sinatra in about every every possible way so yeah, uh, I can remember I can remember conversations between mom and dad where dad would say well you know he he's always giving to charity he never tells anybody about it and mom would say how do you know, how, how do you know about it <laughs> Dad would be kind of like, <laughs> damn it. That would make dad laugh. Because <laughs> they had that kind of, they'd have that kind of arguing where they'd yeah. be. It was mostly, mostly laughing. Well, that's, that's kind of a romanticized version of their arguments, Joe. That's right. He's, he's put some kind of a smiley face on our, our, on our childhood, which was actually very painful. <laughs> very painful. Very and painful. we best forget. <laughs> I'm trying hard to forget. I'm trying to forget. I was treated badly. But he won't let me. <laughs> Every time he... Not supposed to remind me. Not supposed to remind me. I've been in many years of therapy. <laughs> I still talk like this. He has to take ignore... He has to take ignore it all. <laughs> is that a drug? No. Ignore it all? Did you just make that up? No. Oh. going to say, that's friggin' stroke of genius. Yeah, it'd be like Risperidol. Genius. Risperidol. That is a drug. Risk it all. <laughs> Risperidol. Blow it all. Circle. <laughs> Blow it all. <laughs> Blow it all. <laughs> it's, it's for gamblers, Joe. It's for gamblers. <laughs> addicted to gambling then you must have been taking blow it all <laughs> damn it all damn it all yeah I'm off that's of like for all. Tourette's <laughs> <laughs> so what the hell so Joe are you did they finally fix your building are you back at work yes we have water yes are you very thirsty there you should drink water before you go to work. We were without water for weeks. <laughs> it was terrible. We were frozen in the ice for seven days. Now it was... Why don't you dig? Dig. <laughs> dig. Dig. <laughs> you heard me dig. <laughs> it was still in the tunnel. There was an elaborate... Yeah. There was an elaborate explanation for why we ended up with water... But I think it just got warmer. <laughs> I, think that's, I really you just see, think it thawed. The reason you can't go back to work is because the water situation in your building has not quite been resolved. <laughs> but soon it will be. And, and you don't understand, but when you do go back, it'll be so much better. <laughs> there will be an aqueduct, a beautiful aqueduct, and a fountain that... Is your building is the aqueduct? What could be better than that? You're you're building one of the seven wonders of Utica. <laughs> I think it is. I actually think it is. I think it is. I think it might be. I think I think I think. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Another voice from the thirties. <laughs> what the hell? Think. <laughs> That's like Jimmy Durant. Yeah. Right? Okay. I'll never forget the day I read a book. <laughs> it was contagious. <laughs> 70 pages. There were pictures here and there, so it wasn't hard to bear the day. I, I was, read a book. I was, uh, I was seeing some stuff from the 30s. Just, uh, last week I was seeing, I was showing, I was at Mom's, 
And I was showing mom some Marx Brothers <laughs> oh. um, songs. It was very amusing. You were showing them to but, her? Yeah, yeah, on YouTube. Oh. Yeah. Oh, on your laptop. Yeah. Whatever it is, I'm against it. <laughs> you know, things like that. <laughs> it's funny because I watched... It's funny because I watched that uh, movie Horse Feathers with her. Oh, did you really? Not that long ago. It's probably within the year. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, because she likes that stuff. She thought it was funny. Yeah. She actually laughed. Yeah, she was into it. We watched a whole bunch of things. And we watched some songs from The Wizard of Oz, too. I was, like, pulling up all the songs. She probably liked that. Yeah, she liked a lot. She kept saying, Charming. <laughs> it's like the scarecrow was charming, it's charming, and the cowardly lion was charming. Oh, that's charming. Well, mom, what <laughs> makes a muskrat guard his musk? Courage. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was good. <laughs> what makes the dawn come up like thunder? That's <laughs> <laughs> what's the apron apricot. <laughs> One of my favorite lines of all time. That was good. That was great. Good. Yeah. Courage. <laughs> uh, we shouldn't talk too much longer. Are we going to try to play a song in this? Yes. Because we didn't have any songs in this episode. Well, what would, you, what would you like to play? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We could no. play one of, something from the Rick Perry album. Yes, we could do. Uh, how, about, how about the one Poor Dick? Oh, we could play Poor Dick. Okay. I'm playing. Uh, and dun, 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 dun. Here it is, yeah. folks. Dan. Cut it in here, Joe. Later. Huh. Joe will be cutting this in later. Cut this in later. Mm-hmm. Hi. I'm a Rick. A Rick Perry. I'm a Rick. Say there's no devil, Rick Well, I can't believe it Not when my friend is sick At least he's breathing Oh, poor Dick There's still some evil to do World's full of candy Dick needs a pump, it's true Now his chest is empty Summoning his ribcage now. 
great oh my god that's one of my favorite of songs i tried to get jared to play i tried to get jared to play but it didn't quite fit so whenever he played it couldn't really yeah couldn't really do it a bit of bugs bunny in there i don't have that sound didn't fit i couldn't make that sound it couldn't fit in the the curdle structure I gotta dig up some. Uh, you oh. see, the problem was the <laughs> chordal structure of the song. It's funny that you mention uh, Carl Sagan because I li- I just listened to that uh, Ned Trek episode the other day when I was. Oh uh, uh, yes, well, Carl actually appeared in about four episodes, I think. No, I mean the Wrath of Carl. Oh. Wrath of Carl, yes. Telling, <laughs> <laughs> telling, you couldn't indeed. beam up a fly. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was the one where Carl Sagan was, like, shooting down all the... Captain. <laughs> Carl Sagan was shooting down every... Suddenly our controls are... Always... <laughs> every farce that Star Trek ever came up with. The transporter. Artificial gravity. Being able to travel beyond light speed. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. That was quite remarkable. Yes, that was terrible. Just the fact of having a star empire that covers multiple parsecs is impossible. The idea is ludicrous. (laughs) Governing such a body would be completely impossible. (laughs) (laughs) I always had thoughts of like a show that would feature Carl Sagan. He would just tear apart like every other science fiction show. That's exactly what it was. Exactly was and and let him loose. I think the freakiest part was when he when he talked about how horses can't talk. Oh yeah, that's right. right. And then Ned was like, "Yeah, Yeah, that scared Joe. That scared Joe when he first heard it." I was like, "Oh, oh!" That was terrible. It was sort of like that because they took Ned's voice away. More important than that. (laughs) Oh, we should go. Time to go. It's time to go. It's time to go. Yeah. Time well, I'll go. play us out with another song. I'm not sure what. I'll throw some wooden balls in there. Some Bing Crosby. Yes. Bing. We actually have some wooden balls. We actually have wooden balls. Thanks to a very good friend of ours. Thank you, Deb, for the wooden balls. Thank you, Deb. Thank you, Deb. We'll actually have a song for Deb. Thank you, wooden doll. Thank you, little boy. Is this our uh, sing out song? Yeah, it's in the wrong key, isn't it? He never plays it in the same key twice. What key do we play? I know, it doesn't matter. I don't think it has to be standard. It's time for us to go. It's time for us, it's time for us, it's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. 
It's time for us, it's time for us, it's time for us to go. It's gonna come around again. Time for us to go, it's time for us to go. It's time for us, it's time for us, it's time for us to go. Gets worse instead of better. That's not a good sign. Goodbye, everyone. Special appearance by John Coltrane there. Oh. This is Big Green brought to you by, I don't know, Animal Biscuits. Animal Biscuits, yes. And uh, perhaps Sheldon Adelson. Crosby. Yes, could be. Find out more about us at big-green.net. Follow me at Big Green Joe. Find us on Facebook. Find Matt at Spring Frontiers. <laughs> oh, good lord. 